Today's teaching comes from Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. <laughs> Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, while fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Marcellus. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? We good? We're awake? Awesome. My name is Russell. I am the pastor for our community. Um, and if you're new, uh, welcome. Please don't leave without uh, saying hello. We'd love to uh, meet you, hear your story and what's going on. Um, I know that there's a little bit of noise in here. We, we talked about it a little bit last week, um, but I had a great conversation with, um, with Pear Dance um, here, and um, we like being here, and we think that it's a gift to be here, and so we're pushing through some noise. There is a class behind us that's going to start um, during our service, and we just asked that they would turn it down a little bit, and they said no problem, and then they're going to move that class in the future to another floor, and so we're working out the kinks of being in a shared space. Um, but what's more New York than a bunch of noise while you're trying to do something? So it's fine, right? All right, let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into this Lenten season here. And so, Father, we, um, we hear this passage, return to me with all your heart. And um, God, I just, I'm praying right now that that would be a response to you calling us back to you. And um, I just pray that we would be really present in this place, that we would bring all of ourselves, that um, we would be, um, that you would give us a spirit of introspection, that you'd give us a spirit of grace towards ourselves, that you'd give us a spirit of truth towards ourselves um, so that we might know who you are and that your son Jesus would become very real to us today. And so may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. It's in your name we pray. Amen. And so uh, times and seasons really have a way of orienting our life. Um, you think about weather patterns, times of years. When you think about a story in your life, you think about, oh, that happened around the birthday that year or that holiday or that graduation or that wedding or that summer vacation, Thanksgiving. All of it sort of uh, roots our understanding of time. And that's what the yearly calendar actually does for us, is it creates uh, markers, it creates moments for us as people. Um, maybe a better way to say it would be that calendars create meaning. And throughout church history, um, the church calendar has been a way of telling a story uh, that's outside of our own story. So who maybe grew up in a tradition where they use a church calendar? Anybody? Okay. Very good. Very good. Awesome. All right, so I want to I give us a visual here for what I'm talking about. This is like a very simplified version of a church calendar, and it's also beautiful, and I think it's very helpful. And so the church, the church calendar, if you're thinking about the year, um, you see it here where it says December. Um, at the end of November into December is the season of Advent, and it's a time of anticipation, right? You're building up towards the incarnation, right? When Jesus came in the flesh, remember baby Jesus, right? That's Christmas. That's Christmas, and then after Christmas is a season of epiphany and revelation, and now right here you're seeing February, March, there's a break, we're moving into the season of Lent, um, and I'll talk about and explain what Lent is, 
And all the while, we're leading up towards the idea of the resurrection, the person of Jesus, very much so alive. And then there's a Sunday in there in May, which is Pentecost Sunday, where we celebrate the ascension. That's the story that Jesus is telling. And then we move into what's called ordinary time, where we're understanding ourselves and our stories in terms of um, God's people. And so historically, churches have used a calendar or something like this as a way of understanding time. Um, as joining in consistent readings and prayers for each of the week. And I think as a church community, especially as a new church community, we need a story outside of ourselves that we're joining. And I actually think that um, hanging on to this, um, but hanging on to it loosely is really important. And we're asking the question, how does the tradition of the church serve the people rather than the people serve the tradition? And here's what we're doing. The heart of this would be this. How does the story that God is telling throughout history, how does it shape how we gather, and how does it shape how we worship? How does it bring us into the reality of what Jesus has done in time and space, and then that begins to shape us? And the thing is, is we have core longings, right? Like we come into places like this, whether you're like cognizant of it or not, you're thinking, God, what do you like? God, what are you doing? Are you real? God, do you care? And the Lenten season has a way of answering that question. And so um, what is Lent? Because I know a lot of us haven't um, participated in Lent. And so Lent is a 40-day season in the church calendar leading up to Easter. And during Lent, we remember Israel's 40 days, uh, or 40 years, excuse me, wandering in the wilderness. And we also remember Jesus's 40 days fasting and being tempted in the desert. And so Lent is a time where we actually um, intentionally reflect on our human condition right? Those, those deep longings of our heart, we reflect on our mortality, we reflect on our sinfulness, and through prayer and through fasting and reflection, we actually become keenly aware of our, what I'd call, disordered loves. Uh, St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you, right? You've made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you, and this is exactly why we need Lent is because we live in a time and a place that's over-entertained, over-indulged, over-comforted, but spiritually malnourished. Spiritually malnourished, right? It's the Netflix every other night that we're not out with friends, the comfort eating, the work deadlines, all the while getting little hits of affirmation and information, a little joyful distraction on the phone, right? That's the temptation of our time. Uh, I was reflecting this week, the um, March and April, the beginning of the pandemic. I, I did this so like subconsciously, but now I reflect on it and I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. But at the beginning of the pandemic, I just started buying things online. Like what a terrible time to actually purchase things. You're like worried about work and what's going to happen. And I was like, I need a new toothbrush. I should get a cool electric one. I was like, oh, I'm going to hang out at home a lot. I should get this hoodie. And I love this hoodie. I wore it for like 150 days straight. It's amazing. Um, I don't know why I got an ad on Instagram during that time. I bought a watch. It's already broken. Um, and so anyway, these are, these are ways, um, practical ways that sort of um, illustrate or bring about, bring about what's actually happening in my heart, right? Those are the things that's coming to the surface. I was reading this week about how uh, alcohol sales between March and September of, of 2020 uh, totaled $41.9 billion, 20% higher than during the same months in 2019, a screen time among teenagers more than doubled during COVID lockdowns. And so numbing and distraction, these are our ways. 
We, we know numbing and distractions, or as C.S. Lewis would say, we are far too easily pleased, right? And so each, each one of us has a sort of longing, right? I could, I could sit down with you over coffee, and each one of us would be able to share a story of, of a way that their heart is longing for something and purchasing or making a, a decision, whatever it may be, to fill that emptiness that we have. And really what it means is that we sort of, in our day and age, have a crisis of meaning, Right, I long so deeply for something to give me meaning and purpose. Like, and, and for some of us, we would easily name that and we would say, you know, like, I want God to be like the greatest thing in my life to give me that purpose and that meaning, but it seems to fall short. And I think it falls short because left to ourselves, we give in to social status and material wealth and uh, sexual attractiveness and wordle, right? These are the things that we sort of give ourselves to, right? And the temptation actually in here is to, to, to say, well, here comes the pastor again telling me I'm sinful, that I'm doing everything wrong. But that's, that's actually not where I want to begin today. That's, that's actually not my goal. My goal is to say, what are the, the behaviors, what are the ways in which you seek comfort, that you numb out pain in your life, and maybe just put that, put that, um, put that on trial this morning. Put that on trial as a way of saying, what really does root me? What really does give me meaning and purpose as a question? Uh, so if you've been a part of any church tradition, uh, when you come to Lent, the question becomes, what are you giving up for Lent? And so Lent has sort of been trivialized, and you're like, well, I guess I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. And you're like, I don't really even eat that much chocolate anyway, but it's the easy thing to do, right? The bar is low. And I think that if we keep this impression of Lent, then we'll, we'll walk out of here largely thinking God wants to restrict me in this way. He wants to regulate my behavior. But it actually doesn't get to the core longing of Lent, which is this question right here. How will I return to God with all my heart? How will I return to God with all my heart? Where in my life has I, have I gotten away from pursuing meaning and purpose and ultimate fulfillment and what is the behaviors or the disciplines that actually can bring me to a place where I find my way back? And so that's actually going to be our approach over the next six weeks um, through the series Return. Um, we're actually just asking this question is, what are the disciplines, what are the patterns, what are the behaviors, the things that we do that can lead us to a life with God? Um, spiritual disciplines have, you know, can get twisted into meaning and purpose because some of us sit here and we say, well, I thought, you know, I thought the grace of God was free. Like, I didn't think I had to do anything. But spiritual disciplines are actually sort of like uh, gardening tools. Um, maybe think of like a, a trowel or a shovel. I'm, I would imagine like no, none of us have gardens. But um, think of it this way. A tool cannot grow a garden, right? It's not going to guarantee that the flowers bloom. It's, the, the, it's not going to guarantee that the crop produces a harvest. But the presence of the tool makes it more likely that the garden will grow, right? Um, in fact, maybe in some ways the best thing to note is the garden uh, grows uh, largely on its own. It's a, it's a mystery in that sense, but these tools help us prep. They help us remove things from our life. They help aerate the soil, uproot debris. Uh, one scholar said this about um, spiritual disciplines. He says, practices are the nuclear reactors of the, of the Christian faith, arenas where the gospel and human life come together in energizing, even explosive ways. Listen to this. Practices create opening, opening in our lives where the grace, mercy, and presence of God may be made known to us. And so spiritual disciplines work in this manner as tools to come alongside us in our spiritual journey to open up grace and truth so that God's being can sink down into our beings. 
And so, uh, you know, there's tons of different lists and ways to think about spiritual disciplines. I'll just really simplify this because you might be asking, what are we going to cover? What does that look like? So here's a list of disciplines of abstinence and then disciplines of engagement. And so disciplines of abstinence would include silence and solitude. We're going to cover that in, um, in this series. Fasting, we're going to cover that today. Um, frugality, uh, it's hard in New York. Uh, sacrifice. And then disciplines of engagement, study, we're going to um, cover scripture reading and Lectio Divina, the last week of the series. Worship, we're going to talk about that next week. Celebration, service, prayer. Uh, Emily's, Emily right here is going to be covering prayer in a couple weeks. Um, community and um, confession, and we'll cover that, that one as well. And so, over the next six weeks, we're looking at spiritual disciplines as a way of saying, how in my life can I posture myself to prepare for God? And that's what Joel 2 says. Joel 2 says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. I think one of the things that really struck me this week about this is how tangible it was. Right? Return to God, and then he actually gave me a behavior. And I was like, I actually, I find that extremely comforting, really helpful. There's actually a way for me to return um, to God. Um, there's a group of scholars that are working around um, a return of very embodied or like physical ways of, of worship in the church. And so you're seeing kneelers come back into the church. You're seeing more people raise their hands in church or um, uh, kneel in prayer. And I think one of the fascinating things about this is that um, our bodies are like trying to worship. Like our bodies are actually trying to call out, uh, scholars are calling this an embodied spirituality, meaning our bodies are trying to get involved in the process. It's not just staying up here in our head, but we're actually trying to push through the disciplines, what we believe in our head. We're actually trying to push it out of our body. And the best way to do this, I think, I've come to the conclusion this week, the best way to do this, if you're able, is through the discipline of fasting. And so that's what I want to talk about um, today. And I want to kind of cover it in, um, in three parts here, and I want to I be really thoughtful about this. I want to talk about fasting in ourselves, and I want to talk about the human body for uh, a little bit and do a little self-evaluation. Then we'll talk about fasting and God and why, why that is a spiritual act, and then we'll wrap up talking about fasting and others, um, thinking about um, how we fast, we think about those who go hungry and how we can partner with them. All right, so return to me with all your heart with fasting. What is fasting? Fasting is abstaining from food for a set period of time to pursue intimacy with God. And this is an important distinction that we need to make um, today. What we're talking about today is not about dieting. It's not about weight loss. That may be a byproduct of this, uh, this spiritual um, pattern, but that is not necessarily the goal, right? And we're letting go of a desire that we have or an appetite that we have um, with God to actually put, to put the spirituality into our body. You can fast from other things as well, social media, your phone, TV, video games, uh, work. I'd like to fast from email for the rest of my life, all right? But abstaining from these habits um, because they numb us, right? We're abstaining for, for, uh, from them because they're our comforts. Uh, fasting is found all throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, fasting is primarily found as a corporate discipline, and it's primarily found in response to mourning or grief. 
It's, it's a response to loss. And so uh, imagine you go to a wedding and you're in the car on the way home and whatever, you're breaking the wedding down, you're saying, oh, it was like an amazing time. I loved the food. That would seem like a very natural thing to say about a wedding, right? Now think about a funeral, right? You just, you just get in the car, you don't really need, really need to say anything, right? You wouldn't get in the car and be like, man, that cheese platter was just amazing, right? No, like it's, it, post-grief, fasting actually comes naturally, right? And so in the Old Testament, what you find, in fact, Joel 2 is a really great example of this. What does he say? Return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, right? What's happening? Grief is taking place amongst the people of Israel. There's a, a sort of national repentance. And so what is natural? Fasting, right? Moses, Elijah, Jesus, they fast in the Bible as a way also of preparation, and then you fast forward into the New Testament, Jesus begins his ministry with a 40-day fast, and he begins telling this by actually saying, when you fast, right? Matthew 6, 16, when you fast. Jesus sort of just says, hey, I'm making this assumption that my followers will actually do this. They'll fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward from other people. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't know about you, I grew up in a house where you had three large meals a day, two of which had to contain meat. And if you didn't have a few snacks in between those meals, you thought you were on the brink of starvation, right? Who's with me? Anybody, anybody grow up in a house like that? Okay, very good. Thank you. I'm not alone, right? And so we live in a time that has both uh, glorified food and trivialized uh, food. Like our city is a glorious food city. Like I'm a, I'm a wannabe foodie. Um, we live in a city where the, the options are endless. The tiers are vast. Every kind of food at your fingertips. Hit me with your favorite restaurant. Just a few of them. Co- what is it? Supr- okay, pizza. Carmine's. Never been there. So I want to go. Say it. Esperanza, I've got to write these down over here, you know. What else? What is it? Oh, Maison, the French spot. I love that. Right, Thai Villa right in the neighborhood. Anything by Danny Meyer, Shake Shack. Like, I'm going to get you hungry today. Like, that's my goal, and then I'm going to challenge you to fast or something, right? I hate eating at home. Why would you ever eat at home in this city? Like, your kitchen is this big, right? It, doesn't, it makes no sense. But think about it this way, too. This, this gets a little bit more complex. High-quality, healthy food, largely expensive, right? So your food creates a sort of vibe in our city, too, in that way. I read this week that every year the United States discards more food than any country in the world, nearly 40 million tons every year. It's estimated that 30 to 40% of our food is gone, that goes right into the trash, it's crazy, right? It's glorified, right? We, we can talk about it in these ways, and we're like, it's high and lifted up, and then it's trivialized. It's thrown into the trash, right? I'm sure Carmine's even throws stuff in the trash, you know? And so our relationship with food is complex in that way. And I, when I got to prepping this week, I, I kept thinking to myself, how do you talk about fasting without talking about the relationship that each of us have with our bodies and with the way that we consume, right? We get the command. Jesus says, when you fast. But what I began to realize as I thought about it is that we hear that differently. And we hear that differently because we each have different relationship with our body. And so I I borrowed this from a, a...
scholar that I deeply respect. Um, his name is Scott McKnight. Um, I adapted it a little bit, but he talks about fasting. And here are four views of the body that I think are worthy to, um, to navigate here in terms of how we think about our body. So the first one is this, is that our body is an animal to be conquered. And so some see the body as something we tame. And we, um, this person probably believes that the spiritual is much more um, important than the body. And um, the body is to be uh, suppressed and controlled at all costs. Um, I was reading about um, St. Catherine of Siena uh, this week, a a, a Catholic saint in the 1300s. Um, She actually died at the age of 33 from fasting. She said that she um, was sick and she just could never eat. And at the end of her life, coming into the last year of her life, the only meal that she would eat was communion, was the Eucharist, was the bread and the cup. And so the body to her was something to be suppressed. It wasn't something to nurture, to care for, but it was something to hold down at all costs. And I know that's an ex- sort of extreme example, but the idea is if you view your body in that way, you're putting away vice, right? You're distancing yourself from the world. And this person likely does fast because they believe um, it's a way of separating um, pushing down their body and elevating the spiritual. What about the second one? A celebrity to be glorified. Other people see um, the body as uh, something to nurture and care for. Maybe outwardly even these, these first two look the same in terms of behavior on the outside, but the inward motivation tends to be different. Um, if this is you, then right now is your season, right? You've got to tune up the body for the summer, right? This is what the work is right now. But this person would look at their body and say, um, I'm definitely, I want to take care of what I have I, as an individual. I want my freedom. I want to work out. I want my fashion to be on um, trends. Um, our culture tells us a thousand, gives us thousands of examples of how your body is a celebrity to be glorified. I'm sure on the way here, uh, you interacted with 20 different ads that told you what your body should look like, right? Diet culture sends a message. Clothing line sends a message. All of these are sending a message about who you are, who you should be. And fasting for this person regularly shifts into a form of dieting for the sake of the self. And so they look different. I mean, they, they look similar on the outside, but the first one is concerned with asceticism. The second one is uh, looking at the aesthetics. Next one, vessel to be indulged, right? Uh, fill the body with the best foods. Uh, this person is maybe like a modern-day hedonist, like given over to the pleasures of the world, fine wines, like got to go out, got to check out every restaurant in the city. Um, I was thinking about, in terms of a vessel to be indulged, I was thinking about um, the way that we uh, comfort eat. Maybe that we even um, eat when we don't even think about it, right? Like the food is just there, so I might as well eat it, right? The waiter comes by and says, do you, do you, are you done with your fries? And you're like, really the answer is yes, I'm done, but what do you, no, leave them, I'm picking, right? And so you're just indulging, you're not, even pa- you're not even thinking about it. And so fasting by this person just simply wouldn't be done because they would consider those who fast killjoys or culturally irrelevant. And then the last one, we'll do this one quickly, a, a wallflower to be ignored, right? This person largely ignores the body because maybe they've given over to like the intellect or uh, their work or to a creative outlet. Um, I have an uncle, um, he forgets to eat. He just, he simply works long hours, works well into the night, and at the end of the day, he realizes, I haven't eaten in 12 hours, right? Just because he's so honed in. And so, maybe a little self-reflection. Where do you fall on that spectrum? You don't have to say it out loud. I, for me, I probably um, fall or I've fallen into different ones at different times, maybe like um, two. Um, before I met my wife, I cared a lot about how I looked. Um, <laughs> 
just being honest. Um, but still do, right? Like, um, I, even as I, I, as I thought about this this week, I was like, I care deeply about how I'm perceived, and that actually changes my behaviors and my patterns. And then the third, um, like, I just, I love to go out and get some drinks and get some food and be, be, uh, be happy and full. So these change how we hear about fasting, right? It's just, it's just very natural. And I want to pause here because I actually think that some of this can be quite triggering, for, for some people in the room. I know uh, many of us struggle with uh, disordered eating, whether that's comfort eating, unconscious eating, uh, an eating disor- disorder, and each of us have a relationship with food, with caffeine, with alcohol, and maybe if you learn anything today, it's, it's, it's simply that food is a deeply spiritual thing, and I think that's something really important about that, but maybe you're sitting here too, and you just have a bit of shame rising up, right? You're just like, ah, I don't, I don't, I, I just, I want this part to end, right? And I think that um, we were sent a lot of messages, even as kids, about food and, and what um, spoken and unspoken messages about food from our, our families. And if this is you today, I, I, maybe I'd just tell you two things. If you're kind of experiencing that shame, I would say um, God deeply cares about your body and he created you and he loves you. And that would be the first thing. And then um, number two would be, um, even inside of that, if you're experiencing that, that level of shame or whatever it is, is that um, there's hope and freedom inside of that. And so um, Rachel and myself are going to be over here at the end of service. We'd love to pray with you, talk to you, grab coffee with you, whatever. We would be over there. If you're like, I'm definitely not going to do that, but you'd still like to talk, you can fill out that connection card, and we would love to, um, to be present with you in that. I, this was the, the goal of this is not to, to bring that up and not deal with it, but to bring it it up so that you can evaluate this spiritual, this spiritual discipline and the benefits of it. So, Joel 2.12, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And you know what? This is actually even better. Listen to this. Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. That's the heart of God. Like, maybe, maybe that's even more important in answering that. Like, this is who God is, Right? He's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He knows you and he knows what you're going through inside of that. So why should we fast? Like, why is this a worthy practice? And I just want to give you three things, and this will kind of lead us towards um, concluding. Number one, fasting demonstrates our self-denial. Fasting demonstrates our self-denial. And so Jesus is baptized in the Gospels. Um, Before he goes around um, preaching and healing, he goes out into the desert to fast for 40 days and be tempted by the devil. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 4. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they ended, he was hungry. I always laugh at verses like that. It just said he ate for he he didn't eat for forty days, and it says and he was hungry. You know what happens at forty days to the human body is like that's that's it. Like that is the absolute max. There are people who have fasted that long, but that's actually the time you have to stop fasting. That's like the that's pushing it to the very edge. The body's feeding on itself in a dangerous way, and so Jesus in this passage is being tempted by the devil, but. He's actually being pushed to his very limits as well inside of that. And what does the devil say to him? If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. 
Like, I don't know about you, I break down 10 out of 10 times right here. Like, the offer of stone to bread after like five days, like I am, I'm in, right? Yesterday, uh, my wife and I had coffee at a place right around the corner called La Cabra, and they have these cardamom bums, buns. I don't even know what cardamom is, but I, like you have to go there after and get one of these things. I'm like evangelist about food. I'm like going to realize this today. What does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, it's not about me. It's, it's not about my hunger. And what Jesus is doing is he's actually denying himself, right? And this is actually what we're doing when, we're, when, when we fast. We're denying our little escapes. We're denying our little comforts. We're denying those little hits of things that numb us out. And, and we're numbing out the hardships of the world. And, and when we fast, we're actually saying, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have the third cup of coffee, fourth cup of coffee. That was the confession right there. Like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm not going um, um, to give in to the lust of the, of the flesh, right? Every, every person on the street wasn't made for, for me. This, this is not about me. And that's what the, this denial is doing. We're saying not everything in this world is about me. And so fasting actually demonstrates that level of self-denial. And what are we doing? We're under-eating physically because we believe that there's nourishment outside of ourselves, Right? We're saying, I actually don't have everything I need in and of myself and, and with food, but I actually need something greater than that. Adele Calhoun is a great writer, writes this really great um, work on spiritual disciplines, and she says, fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite, an appetite for food, for media, for shopping. This act of self-denial may not seem huge. It's just a meal or a trip to the mall, but it brings us face-to-face with the hunger at the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep empty hunger at bay and gain a sense of self-worth by devouring creature comforts. Through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small denials of the self show us how little taste we actually have for sacrifice or time with God. The truth is not meant to discourage us. It's simply the first step in realizing that we have to lay down our life in order to find God again. And so fasting in that way demonstrates our denial. Second thing, and she says this really well, is that fasting actually reveals what controls us, right? It, gets, it actually uh, brings to the surface the things that we're using to numb out. Um, I've fasted before. I'm by no means an expert in this area. Um, I'm definitely, every time I fasted, tempted to quit like, and quit quietly, never tell anybody, just you know, eat a couple of things and then just be like, no, we're not talking about it anymore, right? Um, so a real life scenario, uh, probably um, two years into my marriage, uh, my wife noticed that I would come home and I would get kind of grumpy. And I don't cook a lot and she, she enjoys cooking. So I'm like standing in the kitchen and I'm kind of grumpy and she's like, we're talking. And she's like, are you okay? And two years into marriage, you know, it's just very natural for her to be like, how you doing? Are you okay? And I'm standing there kind of grumpy. And then maybe another year goes by and, you know, we're standing in line for food and, you know, I'm just angry, irritated. And so finally one day she's like, are you just hungry? I'm like, yes, yes, I'm hungry. Now, we've been married for almost seven years, and she says, um, yeah, like, you're hangry right now. She tells me before I know. And one of the things I was thinking about is the ways that fasting actually um, exposes our inner world, right? It's like um, fasting is actually like a diagnostic tool for what controls us, right, where we try to cover up um, things with food. Um, but really what's, what's happening is I always think that I'm just hangry. I just need food to solve the problem. But actually what's rising up is like undealt with anger 
or bitterness or jealousy or fear. Those are the things in, in fasting, if you're going to do this, this discipline, those are the things that are actually going to rise up, and what do you have to do? You have to begin to deal with these things without numbing them out or suppressing them. And so fasting reveals what controls us. And here's the last thing. Fasting aligns us with God's will. Uh, it's fascinating in, in um in Matthew chapter 4, in the, the dialogue between uh, Jesus and Satan, it says this, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but he continues on. I think it's a quote from Deuteronomy. He says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Jesus is fasting and he's like, hey, I'm actually not like suffering right now. Like I'm, I'm actually not because I'm secure in the Father. And another place, um, another passage, he says, I have food you know nothing about. And so Jesus is saying, I'm denying myself because I'm actually feeding on something else. And so if you think of it that way, um, fasting is actually feasting, right? Fasting is actually feasting. You're saying no to the things that may bring you immediate uh, sustenance, immediate um, satisfaction, but you're creating a space where you're attuned to God and what he's doing. And when you and I do that, you realize, you know what? I'm actually ultimately not sustained by food. I'm actually sustained by God. And this is why people fast as a way of preparation or decision-making, because it, it allows everything going on um, in your life to rise to the surface, and then you get to evaluate, God, is this actually what's right and what's better and what's true? And so maybe you actually find yourself um, in a season of discernment, or, you know, graduation is coming, or you're like, I need wisdom, I need guidance about this. Like, fasting is a great thing to do to say, God, actually, I, I desire to hear from you. I long to hear from you, and I need wisdom in this season. One more thing. This is what's so beautiful um, about fasting, I think, too, is when we go without, we understand what others that go without experience, right? So fasting is actually a way of identification with the hungry. Um, and now, when you look at the, if you pull up the Bible and you pull up every um, passage on fasting, one of the primary ways you're going to understand fasting is, is through the lens of justice, in the book of Isaiah, um, the prophet describes how fasting actually um, gets distorted into false shows of humility. And basically what the Israelite people are doing is they're coming to God and they're saying, God, I'm fasting and I want you to bless me. God, look at what I'm doing. You need to be present in my life because I am posturing myself in a way that um, is honorable to you. And what are we doing? We're looking to God to be like, God, be my personal genie. Be proud of me because I can do this behavior. And here is, uh, uh, this is God responding to the uh, people of Israel in Isaiah 58. He says, will you call this a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I chose to loose the bonds of wickedness? to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh? I don't know about you, but I'm like, I'm prone to do that. Like, I'm going to fast this week, and God is going to, like, be with me in that decision that I have to make of that thing, right? And here it's like, no, 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 actually think, think again about fasting. True fasting is, when we is not just when we deprive ourselves of our comforts and our privileges, but it's actually balanced out by thinking, how can I love my neighbor in the midst of this? And so Lent, we generally think of Lent as a time where, hey, what are you giving up for Lent? I think it needs to be balanced equally out by what are we giving to? And there's something really practical about this. In fasting, uh, you're actually creating literal space in your life and in your calendar, right? Um, 30 minutes at least, twice a day. If you're going to fast breakfast and, and lunch, you're creating free space. And so how are you leveraging that time 
for other people. And I'll, so I'll get into this in this challenge here, but let me give you some tips if you're interested in what we're talking about um, today. Here's some tips for fasting from food. Um, don't fast when you're sick, pregnant, or nursing. Check with a medical professional if you have specific concerns. Always drink plenty of water and fluids. Um, if you're new to fasting, uh, begin by just fasting for, for one meal, maybe a lunch, and spend that time that you would normally, um, uh, spend that time with God that you would normally be eating. And then the thing we talked about before, if you struggle with an eating disorder, you may find this triggering. Please use discernment and make health, healthy choices and reach out if you need help. Maybe one other thing I would add to it, um, to this list, is don't tell anybody about it, because Jesus says that. Um, I think we're, you know, we're prone to, you know, going into certain, some of us are, I would, would say, and be like, ah, I'm not eating today, I'm fasting, um, but let me buy you lunch, you know, and so I think don't, not telling uh, other people about it would be good. And then lastly, here's this challenge um, for us as a community. So, over the next 40 days, um, I, I want to challenge you to, to, to push in. How will you fast? Um, I, I mean, I know that you're probably having mentally a conversation with me today. It's like something is distracting me or there's something like a habit or a vice or even a sin, something that you need to abstain from to create space um, from God. Um, and if, if, if that's an invitation or a challenge that they all say one, by the way, anybody notice that? Um, I think that this is a, a worthy thing to evaluate. Like, God, is there something that's just distracting me um, from you? Is it, like, of course, I know we, our culture is becoming more accustomed to, like, deleting Instagram, you know, for a week, and then, you know, you, you last, like, three days, and you're back on. But is there something pulling you away? And that 40-day fast could be um, really from sweets, alcohol, snack food, caffeine, whatever it may be. Um, use the weekdays as a means of fasting, and then use Sundays, if it's a healthy behavior, as a means of feasting. It could be um, something that you say, hey, actually, it's not, this isn't detrimental to my life. I'm going to do it on Sundays as a way of, um, and that pattern is actually from Easter. Jesus resurrected on Easter, and so, um, and then um, this is an invitation um, to anybody who would like to join us. Uh, there's a group of us that on Thursdays are going to do a food fast. And so here's how this will work. Um, there's six uh, Thursdays from now till Easter. And so what you do is you eat dinner on Wednesday night, and then you don't eat on um, Thursday breakfast or lunch, but then you uh, eat dinner. And then in, in lieu of that, um, use that time. How, could you pray? Could you go on a walk? Could you, um, in terms of thinking about the hungry, could you use the money that you would have spent on breakfast or lunch um, by buying a coworker lunch or someone on the street, you could buy them lunch, um, give money to a cause that you believe in. And then one of the things we'll be doing for this Thursday corporate fast is on our website and then uh, on Instagram, we'll actually push out um, prayer points for those days. And so you can actually use that time um, for a specific reason. So this, uh, this Thursday is going to be, we're going to be praying for the war. Um, in Ukraine, and then we're going to be play, um, praying for refugees and um, the displaced. And then we'll put those out uh, either week, um, every week, excuse me. And then lastly, um, we've created this Lent scripture reading guide as a tool. This is a tool for you. It looks absolutely stunning. It is an incredible thing. Um, we have a team that worked really hard on putting this all together. Um, and it's just a way to mark time with God. It can take five minutes. It can take a half hour, anywhere in between there. Um, and I would just ask you to, if you go on our website, reunionnyc.com backslash resources. Um, last year when we created one of these, um, a few of you shared it. 
and a lot, it, it put it into a lot of people's hands. We want people to have this tool. Um, and so maybe you want to send it to your aunt or your cousin or whoever it is. Um, please share that widely. Um, and we're going to be doing that uh, every day for the next 40 days as we um, anticipate and look forward to Easter. All right, let's pray.